you would, go ahead and uh, let's take out our Bibles together. I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to chapter 36. Exodus chapter 36. Knowing that uh, I will be away next Sunday and uh, Brother Merle will be continuing to uh, lead you in uh, the study of Psalm 130 and uh, knowing that the following week uh, we plan, Lord willing, to be back, but we arrive Saturday evening and uh, just because we don't want to count on all the flights working well, uh, Justin Childers will be here to serve you that Sunday morning, uh, Dayton Hartman that Sunday evening. I should be here uh, with us at that Sunday, but we'll, we'll see what happens. That's in the Lord's hands. Uh, but knowing that those two weeks are coming, I didn't want to jump into our study of Joseph and Genesis 37 through 50 this morning. And so well, we're going to hold off on that for a few weeks uh, until we can have a more consistent uh, start. And so uh, this morning I thought I would draw our attention to this passage, Exodus 36. And I want us to read verses 1 through 7. Uh, verses 1 through 7. So if you would look at those verses with me. And this is the Word of God. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And they still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. I want to ask you this question to begin this morning. Dear Christian, why are you still alive? Why are you still here? You've already been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now His. You now have a place reserved for you in the new heavens and the new earth. If you were to die this very moment, you would go to be with the Savior who loves you. For what reason is God keeping you here? For what reason has He left you on this planet? We might say, well, I, I still need to be further sanctified. I'm still in this process of being made holy by God's Spirit and and that's true. All Christians are in that process. All Christians still alive on this earth are in that process of being made holy. But dear friend, the moment you die, that process will be finished. 
The moment you die, your sanctification will become glorification. You will be perfect. God does not have to leave you on this earth another day in order for you to be made holy. He can make that happen in a moment. And that's exactly what He'll do when you breathe your last. And so I ask again, why has God left you on this earth? The answer seems to be that God still has some purpose to accomplish through you in this world. If you are alive, dear Christian, and you are, then there is still some use that you are to be serving in God's grand scheme. Remember Paul in prison. And he's writing to the Philippians. He might be killed in Philippi, or he might be set free from prison. And he doesn't know for sure which one is going to happen. He he doesn't know what God is going to do. Will he die or will he live? Listen to the words that he wrote and just see if these could be your words. Could you speak this way? Paul said, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. In other words, Paul says, whether they put me on trial, sentence me to death, sentence me to stoning or something worse, or whether they let me go scot-free. Here's my desire, that whether they kill me or let me go, Christ be honored. That Jesus be glorified in my body. If I die, let Christ be honored in the way I die. If I live, let Christ be honored in the way I live. You know what he says next. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, listen to this, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if God does choose to set me free from this prison, if God does choose to let me live a little while longer, well then I understand that that means there's more fruitful labor for me to do. There is more work that I am to be about for the glory of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. In other words, while Paul knows that he might be executed... He suspects that he's probably going to be kept alive a while longer and set free. And that is actually what ended up happening. And Paul expected that he would live longer for this purpose because God's churches still needed more service to be done by him. There were churches that he had started that needed to be encouraged. There were churches that needed to be edified. And so he said, I suspect that God's going to keep me alive a while longer, that I can be about this fruitful labor. Friends, I want to make a very bold assertion here. I want to assert that the main reason God is keeping you alive right now is because He is calling you to be actively involved in the great work that He is doing. That there is fruitful labor 
for you to be about in this world. God is doing the same thing He's been doing since Genesis 3. He's building a kingdom. He's calling to Himself a people saved by His Son who will live in His presence forever. It is to be our daily prayer, Thy kingdom come, that God's kingdom will come in all its fullness. But it has not yet come in all its fullness. Right now, the kingdom is still being built. And you and I are to be involved with God in that building work. For some, that means radical actions that take them far away from home. There are some whom God calls and God equips to go to faraway lands to be a part of helping build the kingdom. They take the gospel to to places like Cameroon or Mozambique or the Middle East. These missionaries take the gospel where it is not well known praying that through them new churches might be started and unreached peoples will soon praise the Lord. For others, being involved in God's great kingdom-building work means being called to pastoral ministry. Men are needed to preach the gospel here and abroad, to continue the work of equipping the saints discipling God's people, even helping uh, encourage the work of evangelism here in the United States. Now, while I know that the majority of Christians are not called to be missionaries, and the majority of Christians are not called to be pastors, let me say again that we should all regularly evaluate ourselves to ask the question, could he be calling me? Do I have any desires in this direction? Remember the scriptures that says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You should never be feeling, oh, I hope God doesn't call me to be a missionary. (laughs) Rather, you should always be feeling, oh, What a joy, what a gift, what a privilege should God choose to call me. So consider those things and and, and, and wonder, might God be calling me? And and if you ever sense that He might be, let let us know here so we can talk with you about that and and, and see what's, what's going on there. What a joyful thing. But dear friends, if God is not calling you to the mission field as a missionary to pastoral work. Well, this does not mean that God does not have kingdom purposes for you. Just the opposite. Every calling that God has placed on your life is to be fulfilled or is to be, yes, fulfilled with kingdom purposes in mind. Everything we do, we're to do to the glory of God. We are to eat our breakfast to the glory of God. All of life is to be lived to His honor. As children, we are to honor our parents and relate to them for the glory of God. This applies to older children as well with older parents. We're to relate to our parents in such a way 
that our parents and any others who are watching see the glory of God and want a taste of this, want to, want to ask what is the reason for this hope that you have so that we can share the gospel with them and maybe be a part of helping add another brick to the great building called the kingdom of Christ. As parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, we are to fulfill those responsibilities in such a way that we reflect the very fatherhood of God, that we reflect the glory of His character. Whatever God's callings are on your life, your, your calling as a citizen, your calling as a friend, your calling as a, uh, in, in your various areas of work, whatever neighborhood organizations you belong to, in every responsibility you have, every calling God has placed on you, you are to live for the glory of Christ. Everything that you're involved in should be under this great umbrella of I am left here on this earth to be a part of what God is doing in building the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And everything falls into that. Some of you are involved in lines of work here in Rocky Mount or in this area that you could just as easily be involved in in another nation. I would never want to lose any of you, but if I lost some of you this way, it would still be an exciting thing. While we were at the convention a few months ago, or about a month ago, uh, one of the guys who used to lead the International Mission Board work in the Middle East uh, described the need for just Christian people who are living their lives in America to come live their lives in places like the Middle East. They don't have to be missionaries. They just need to be Christians who are willing to come be Christians in another part of the world. Uh, he talked about how there are places in the Middle East where Christian missionaries would be very unwelcome, but American businessmen receive the red carpet rolled out for them. Did you know that there are missionaries on the field in hard places who long to just have a Christian family near them to support them as they seek to do their work? If a Christian businessman is involved in a business in the U.S. where he could move his family to another country and do that same work in another country, he could simultaneously be of help to a missionary who's trying to plant a church there or, or spread the gospel there. I say this just to, to kind of trigger in your mind, we need to be thinking big about these things. You need to be thinking big about how am I spending my life in this short, short time we have for the glory of the Savior who bore the wrath of God for us. This morning, I want to draw our attention specifically to one aspect of living for the glory of God. Every one of us in this room has special talents, abilities, maybe skills that God has given us. And I want to give you this exhortation. I want to encourage you to use your talents, your skills, your abilities for the glory of Christ and the spread of His kingdom. In our passage, God is overseeing the construction of a tabernacle. And He gives the instructions of how this tabernacle is to be built to Moses. And then Moses passes on those instructions to the new nation of Israel. This tabernacle is basically a portable temple. 
It's a, a temple that is a tent. It is to serve Israel until the day when a more permanent temple can be built in the promised land. But of course, the building of the tabernacle is pointing to a much greater building project. In the construction of the tabernacle, God is foreshadowing Christ's construction of His church. You see, Christ's people, stretching all the way back to Adam, all the way forward to the last person who will ever believe, we we go by different names in the Bible. Sometimes Christ's people are called a kingdom. That's a, a big theme that we see in the Bible. Sometimes we're called a nation. Sometimes we're called a country. That this is what Christ is building. People from every tongue, tribe, and nation brought together and made citizens of this one nation. This nation that will last forever as God promised Abraham. A nation that will dwell on a new heavens and a new earth with the perfect king, the Lord Jesus Christ, forever and ever. Sometimes the Bible uses a different picture. One a little bit smaller and more intimate. Sometimes instead of speaking of Christ's people as a kingdom, they're spoken of as a city, right? Or even as the new Jerusalem. Christ is building the true Jerusalem, the true Zion of God. And we who belong to Jesus are a part of that great city. Jerusalem was the place where the temple was, the place where God dwelt in special power. Well, the Bible speaks of Christ's people as the true Jerusalem because it is among us that God dwells in special power. If you want to find the special presence of God, where do you go? You go to the gatherings of God's people. Wherever two or more gathered in my name, there I am with them, Christ said. And so the Bible uses these pictures for for the people of Christ, kingdom, nation, country, or city, Jerusalem. But sometimes the picture is even smaller. Sometimes we're referred to as a family, right? The family of God. A family that is being built where God is the father, Christ is the elder brother. When someone is saved, they become a part of the family of God. Or, not just kingdom, nation, country, not just uh, uh, city, Jerusalem, not just family, but one of the more intimate names for Christ's people in the Bible is, is bride. That, that we are um, the one on whom Christ has set his special love. That people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are being made a part of this one bride for whom Christ gave his life and will one day come and take her to himself. The picture can get even more intimate. We are Christ's body. That Christ's people are His body and He the head. That we are members of Him and members of one another. That when we are saved, our unity with Christ is so intimate that that this picture of, of a body is appropriate. We are in that way united to Him. So the Bible gives us all of these glorious pictures of this kingdom that Christ is building. Well, One of the pictures that we find throughout the Scriptures is this picture of the temple, right? That Christ's people that he is building are a temple. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, do you not know, meaning you should know this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? 
Now, oftentimes in, in the Bible, oftentimes, sometimes in the Bible, that, that's referring to individual Christians, that each of us are temples of the Holy Spirit in the sense that the Spirit dwells within us. But in that verse, the you is plural. You together, as the people of God, are the temple of God. And that's where the emphasis is in the New Testament, that we are a holy temple being built by Christ for Him to dwell in and with forever. Ephesians 2, 19-21, pictures the church of Christ this way. Listen carefully for that temple language. So, when, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in which the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The tabernacle that is being built here in Exodus was eventually going to rot away. It would not last forever. But the spiritual truths being taught here apply to this ultimate building project. The building of the true temple the people of God, the kingdom of God. Now, we see two ways that the people of Israel were involved in building this physical tabernacle. Uh, one way was through generosity. They helped support this great building project through generosity. Uh, we see the abundance of free will offerings that were being brought to Moses for use in building the tabernacle. Uh, we're told that every morning people kept coming and coming. They were bringing more and more materials that they wanted to donate to help make this tabernacle come to be. It's very clear from the passage that the people of Israel were passionate. They were excited about this tabernacle project. Why so? One reason may have been they had just recently uh, been judged by God for worshiping the golden calf. And God had just brought them fresh forgiveness and said to them, No, this is how you are to worship me. And so they, as a sign of true repentance, want to get the tabernacle built so that they can worship God in the way that God has just told them they ought to worship Him. And so their passion is a mark of their true repentance. They don't want to repeat what they did with the golden calf. They want to worship God rightly. They want to show that they want to obey Him, that they love Him. Well, they were so generous that eventually we have the workers on the tabernacle coming to Moses and saying, Moses, you've got to tell the people to stop. We've got more than enough resources. We don't need anything else. It's all going to waste. And Moses had to give a decree to the people that no more gifts were to be accepted. We also, as Christians, are to support the work of this great kingdom-building project through generosity. In Acts 4, we learn that when those first Christians were saved, one of the first responses was overflowing generosity. We read in Acts 4, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Or a great example of this is the Christians in Macedonia. Uh, we read in 2 Corinthians 8 that the Christians in Macedonia 
were in extreme poverty themselves. But when they heard that they had brothers and sisters in Christ that were in need, they gave beyond their means. Paul says that they begged him and his fellow workers to please accept what they were giving because they gave it in joy and in a spirit of sacrifice to God. It was their joy to give and to be a part of supporting Christ's church. So generosity is an important part of the way we support the work that Christ is doing in this world. But our focus is on the second that we see in the passage. Using our skillful abilities. Our attention is given in verse 1 to these two men in particular. Bezalel and Aholiab. And we're told that those two men and those working with them had been equipped by God with certain talents and skills that they were now to use in the service of building the tabernacle. What I want to do for the rest of this message is just note three truths about these talented men and the way they use their abilities for the glory of God. And I want to give you these truths in the hopes that we will think about them as we seek to use our God-given abilities for the glory of God. So number one, I want you to note that these men had developed their God-given talents into skills. They had developed their God-given talents into skills. Now, God is rightly given credit for this in the passage. It was God who ultimately caused their skill to come about. It was God who was leading these men in their past to cultivate these skills. It is God who is the source of both ability and of knowledge. But there is very little doubt that in God's good providence, these men had applied themselves in learning the things necessary to become masters of their trades. Their raw natural talent had been developed into God-honoring skills. We do not get the impression that Bezalel and Aholiab are, are novices, that they are new at this work. No, these were men who had experience. These were men who knew what they were doing. In Exodus 31, we learn that Bezalel in particular was a renowned metal worker, and he was skillful in working with gold and working with silver, and working with bronze. We are told that he had carpentry skills and that he was known for his ability to carve wood, especially to create images, pictures in the wood. Friends, my question to you is this. What are you doing with the raw talents that God has given to you? Are you letting them lay to the side undeveloped? Or are they being cultivated into true skills. Why has God given you these talents if not to do good with them? Are we not to be stewards of our talents? Should we not find joy in learning to excel at certain activities so that we can do them with excellence for the glory of Christ? What are your talents? What are your talents? Are you turning them into skills that can be given in worship to the service of Jesus Christ? Please understand, I am not calling you to suddenly throw aside all your other obligations to go and pursue the development of a talent you may have. Sometimes you'll hear the sad story 
of someone who suddenly forsakes his or her family or puts his or her family into poverty in order to go and develop some talents. I want to be very clear here. Do not forsake the obligations God has given you today. Do you hear me? Do not forsake the obligations God has given you today. But within the context of those obligations, to the degree that you can, seek to develop the talents that God has given you. And seek to develop them not merely for personal enjoyment, though it's great if that is there, but develop them with an eye towards giving them to the service of Christ. Teenagers, you are old enough now that you can begin to see what talents God has given you. You can begin to detect what are those things that you are just naturally more gifted at than others. You're also at a key moment where you can begin making those decisions that that will affect where you go with the rest of your life. So I would ask you, what are the talents that you have discovered? What are those areas in which God has, has gifted you in a way that is a little higher than maybe most of your peers? If you were to become skillful in using those talents, how might those skills be used for Christ's sake? How might they be used for Christ's name? And what steps could you be taking today to develop those talents into true skills that would honor Christ? Parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, how might we help those who are younger than us develop their talents in a way that might be used to make a difference for God in this world? Remember Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man who is skillful at his work? He will stand before kings. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want our young people to become mature Christian adults who stand before kings, not for their own glory, but for the name of Jesus, changing this world, influencing this world, impacting this world for the gospel of Jesus? then let us find ways to help them see the talents they have and to develop them into skills that can be given to Christ's service. Second, note that these men not only had these skills, but they had the inner desire to use these skills for God. You see that in verse 2? In verse 2, we learn that Moses forced no one to give themselves to the construction of the tabernacle. Moses did not enslave Bezalel and Aholiab and use whips to make them do this work. Just the opposite. The appearance is that these men considered it a great honor and privilege to be a part of this project. The call to work on God's tabernacle, it was given to those whose hearts stirred them up to come. I think about the building of this building that we're sitting in right now. Many of you know that when we were building this building, much of it built before I arrived here, there were many who came and participated in the various aspects of bringing this building together. And that most of these people were were, uh, motivated simply by a desire to be useful in doing something good for God's glory. And certain people were gifted in certain areas, and at the appropriate time they were able to come and to use those gifts And they contributed freely and joyfully to make this building come about. 
Well, this is how the kingdom of Christ is being built. We are not to be involved in this work because we feel God is forcing us to be involved. We are not to see this as a, as a burden that God is placing on us. No, we are to hear the call to be involved in the greatest work that we could ever be involved in. A work that will last forever, not a work that will perish when this world perishes. Something that will last. We are to want to be involved in this work. Souls are at stake. We are to be involved in this work because Jesus is worthy of our love and our devotion. Jesus is worthy of the time. Jesus is worthy of the sacrifice it takes to develop skills. Jesus is worthy of college courses. He's worthy of the books we must read. He's worthy of the obstacles we must overcome. To become good at something, for Jesus' name, is something we should treasure. It is a high privilege. It is a high honor. Is Christ not worthy of this from you? Is He not deserving of this from you? Think of Jesus' love for you. Think of His precious mercy that He's shown to you. The forgiveness of your sins. Think of His righteousness, His power. How if you're going to give yourself to the service of one King, should it not be this King who does all things well, who is fair and just in every way. He's perfect in every aspect of His character. He is a King who is wise and good. He's a refuge to all who trust in Him. And now in some way, you get to be a part of serving this King with your skills. You get to be a part of helping others see Him, know Him, come to love Him. That's why you're on this planet today. Should it not excite you? To want to live for Christ's glory. And should that not include the giving of your abilities to God? Friends, if you develop skills and become good at something, but your heart is full of love for anything other than Christ, you will end up using your skills for evil rather than for good. Church, there are people who have become skillful at finding ways to feed the poor who are feeding the poor in ways that are wicked. In other words, this point is even more important than the first one. Your heart must be stirring with love for Jesus or all your work in developing a skill will ultimately go to harm, not to good in an eternal perspective. Do you love Christ? Is it for His name that you pursue excellence and not for your name? Don't have any other gods before Him. And don't make yourself a god before Him. Pursue the development of your talents for Christ's sake. Can you say from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes that living for Christ is the best life you can imagine? Can you say that to live is Christ? Can you say with Paul that the love of Christ for you constrains you to live this way? That His love for you is so amazing you cannot imagine living for someone else 
putting your abilities into the service of someone else, anything else, if it does not bring honor to Jesus? Are you not thrilled about the prospect of your life being used to bring others into an eternity of bliss with Jesus? Third, let us note that these men were to use their skills in accordance with God's will. So they developed their talents into skills. They, they had a heart that was stirring them up to use these skills for God's fame. And they used their skills in accordance with God's will. God had already prepared the blueprint of how the tabernacle was to be built. And it was to be built just that way. Uh, these men were not free to put their skills to use however they wanted. Uh, they weren't allowed to start creating furniture of their own, communic- of their own imagination uh, to put into the tabernacle. Rather, they were to submit their skills to God's master plan. That was really, really important. And it was really important because God knew what He was doing. The design of the tabernacle, the, the furniture within it, the decorations, they were all appointed by God. They were all carefully chosen by God to point to various aspects of Jesus Christ. Moreover, we're told in the New Testament that every aspect of how the tabernacle was designed was a copy of a heavenly reality. The place where where God dwells in true fullness. The tabernacle was a picture of heaven. And so it was very important that these guys submit their skills to working according to God's master plan. Well, in the same way, we should seek to use our skills in building the kingdom of Christ, but only in those ways that are lawful, in those ways that are permitted by God. Sometimes you will encounter that Christian who has a lot of zeal for Christ and wants to use his or her skills for Christ, but, but does so in some really unhelpful ways. So suppose you are a humorist. Suppose you have a great talent for entertaining people with your, with your stories and with your jokes. I envy you. Oh, I wish I had a a better sense of humor. My friend Dan that we most of us know from Servant's Heart, he has such a sense of humor and I love being around him and he just cracks me up. And oh, I I envy that. That's That's a gift. And if you use that gift wisely, and if you work hard to become excellent at it, it can be used mightily for Christ's name. But what if you're a humorist? And your church decided, you know what, you're so good at telling jokes, we've decided that one Sunday a month, we're going to cancel preaching. And we want you to come up and just, and just share jokes during the preaching time. Well, now, would that be a lawful use of your skills? Would that be honoring God according to plan? Or what if you began traveling around doing comedy shows, and in the end you became so involved traveling around doing comedy shows that you... You were never back at your own church on Sunday, and you, you failed to gather with, with God's people. Right? That would be an unlawful way to use your skills. Or, or worse, what if you began incorporating some of the potty humor that's so popular in our day into your act? Certainly that would be against God's will in using your skills. So you see, what God has given you as a great gift must be used according to His standards. 
It is only when we use our skills according to His standards that they truly bring forth good fruit for His name. So, for example, maybe this comedian could do a a Friday night comedy show in his own neighborhood and use this as an opportunity to meet his neighbors, to meet the people who live around him. And at the end, he could even give a testimony about uh, how his life has changed and why Christ is precious to him. Absolutely, Jesus could use that in a big way to bring people to salvation, to bring people to the Lord. See, friends, whatever you are skilled at, there is likely some very good and lawful ways to use that skill for God's glory. So pray about it. Think about it. This is not an area where where your pastor, where your church leaders can come in and and just tell you. you. You have to do this with God, to pray about these things, to meditate on these things. God, what are my talents? You can ask others to help you identify your talents. But there comes a time and place where you, on your face before God, has to ask, how can I be developing these? What can I be doing with these skills to help the work that you're doing in this world? Missionaries need people with aviation skills to help fly them to in and out of remote tribes and villages. People with medical experience have incredible opportunities to use their skills for the glory of God both here and around the world. Writers have unique opportunities to use their gifts in Christ's service. Those good with the internet and web design could could help Christian ministries set up their websites in in an attractive way. Those who are talented with art can, can draw or paint or sculpt works that honor Christ and exalt Christ. Maybe you're good at at cooking. What a gift that is. You could could maybe have folks over from the church to to, to serve families by showing them how to cook certain things, or or even better yet, have folks over from your neighborhood and bring them over and do a cooking class and use that as a way to get to know your neighbors and begin building those relationships that you can use to tell them about Christ. Maybe you have a knack of working with mechanical things. Uh, Many of you remember Neil Hess, uh, who we supported in Greenland for a while. He's no longer there. But you remember, Neil, what he learned to do, he was good with mechanical things. He learned to fix snowmobiles. And so God was able to use him fixing snowmobiles in that remote village in Greenland. And that was his way of getting to know the people and to begin having those connections to talk to them about Christ. So pray, think, meditate. What are some ways that I can be using my skills for Christ's name and do so in accordance with His will and His standards. Now, the Bible says that we are to do all things as unto the Lord. That we're to do all things working with all our might. Let me call us as a church to look for skills that we can be developing to serve Christ in this world. And I want to call us in the bigger picture to see our lives in the context of God's purpose of saving the lost. Friends, we are all sinners. But Christ has offered salvation freely to all who will turn from their sins and come to Him. If there's anyone here who has not received Christ, you're not resting in Him. You don't know this Savior who is worth living and dying for. Let me urge you to run to Him. Let me urge you to get into His Word and to spend time with Him in prayer. Let me urge you to to follow Him through baptism and church membership. 
This is vital to see the goodness of our Savior. But for those of us who know Christ, let us give our entire lives, including our talents, into the service of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.